If you listen to my regular podcast on Hazlitt Coffee Talk, you know that I am interviewing artists and musicians every week. However, with the winter coming, I know I won't be able to interview people outside because it's getting too cold and too wintry. So what I have done is put a lot of interviews into my back pocket and I'll be posting them every other week. The weeks in between will feature a work of art by one of my interviewees. Music, literature, anything that you can hear. As you know, I am an actor, a writer, a designer, a gourmet cook, a landscape architect, etc., etc. And I'm married to a musician who's also a photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. They will continue to be important throughout the winter, and I hope you'll continue to listen, especially to these special features that will focus on some great works of art by the people I've interviewed. Stay tuned, because I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Welcome to the world of Todd Gleason. He's a good guy mostly. But he likes his cons. In novelist Joseph Pittman's newest novel, The Case of the Con in Cannes, coming next year, he steals a page from Hitchcock. To catch a thief, well, you gotta find him first. The following is an excerpt from the first chapter. Part one, Broadway malady. Gee, where does the time go? Seems life, his cons, his very existence had been on hold in some existential time warp. After a few short jobs that involved a black widow named Marilyn and a blind man named Bath, Todd Gleason was ready for a bigger challenge. Sure is nice to be back. So let's jump into the here and now. The setting? New York. More specifically, Broadway. And this was Todd's thought. Musical theater was simply ludicrous. Look, you got something to say? Just say it. Spit it out. Got nothing to say? Then what's the sense of singing songs to the balcony about any of it? Todd was of the mind that sometimes silence was as golden as other people's voices. Still, such an opinion, unvoiced as it were, hadn't stopped the charmingly dimpled con man from attending the opening night performance of the revival of that old Cole Porter chestnut, Can Can. From his aisle seat in the sixth row center, a fidgety Todd Gleason couldn't decide which was worse, the overall production or the performance of the show's leading lady. Considering he was currently involved with said leading lady, he had to opt for the show itself. Still, his ears wanted to curl up inside his head when the lovely and easy-to-look-at Cassandra Steele, in the role of La Mon Pistiche, shuddered the last note of I Love Paris. No doubt those finicky French would take exception to such a mangled notion of springtime. Dollface, is there a dying cow in this show? Todd's companion whispered to him. Her voice clogged with phlegm, the result of too many years of cigarettes and booze, so the word whisper here fell on the side of generous. Shh, someone said from behind them, but someone else around them giggled. It might have been Todd. Todd felt bad. Cassandra Steele was hardly some cow, dying, dead, or just plain grazing. She was, in fact, achingly beautiful, with long, dark tresses that some might call raven, and most men wouldn't mind running their fingers through. They would probably enjoy holding her tight against their bodies, nibbling on her soft neck until she melted in your arms. All things Todd had gotten to experience, some of it just this morning. And no doubt many here would sign up to kiss her if only to keep her from singing anymore. What was giving him pause, and what might have the audiences running for the theater exits, well, it was that voice of hers. Whoever thought this gorgeous piece of scenery of a chorus girl was ready for her close-up should have their casting credentials revoked except it had been the producers, all 27 of them, who had found themselves in a financial bind when their movie star leading lady literally broke her leg three days before opening night. 
Todd had no response to his guest's comment. He just did his best to make his eyes work harder than his ears, both in watching the final moments of the show and his slow-moving watch, which indicated a time of 8.50. Hadn't this thing started before 7? How many times could you dance the can-can in one show? Enough with lifting the frilly dresses. On the bright side, the orchestra sounded nice to Porter's great score, and a few of the other actors performed admirably. But among the direction, the sets, and costumes... It was strictly community theater. Attending the show had been as unavoidable as the false praise he would heap upon Cassandra at the post-show party. For now, he remained seated inside Broadway's lushly renovated Velasco Theater, where the top ticket price was $150 per, thank God his tickets had been comped, guests of the star. Finally, like merciful prayers answered from above and by above, that didn't mean the balcony. The show ended in a tight kiss between La Momme and Aristide, and the curtain came down to thunderous applause. Bows followed, with the crowd jumping to their feet with screams and even louder clapping as each lead embraced their solo bow. One man called out, Brava. It wasn't Todd. Todd was clapping, too, sure, but he was busily scanning the crowd to check out the true expressions of the invited audience. Surely they had just seen the same musicalized train wreck that he'd witnessed. When the house lights came up and the chattering crowd began to disperse, their enthusiasm seemed to be the first to leave the theater. Opening night, suggested one wag, more like closing night. I shall never listen to that overrated Cole Porter again, said a wobbly, frail man with wisps of white hair who didn't look like he had much time left to listen to anyone, much less the unjustly maligned Porter. Not like he could be faulted for this production. One other person said, Did you hear the comment about the dying cow? Funniest line of the night. Hey, that was mine, cracked Todd's proud companion, the alliteratively named Lucille Lapidowski. She was the proprietor of Street Help, a temp agency with offices in Times Square that sounded like something far more suspect than it was, and a firm which Todd did occasional work for. It was also the place where Todd Gleason had met Cassandra Steele, weeks before nailing her big break on the Great White Way. She hadn't been cast yet, and had been working as an office receptionist while sneaking out on auditions. And from the sounds emanating from inside the theater, she might just want to see if those phones still needed answering. Because this show probably had a limited shelf life. Come on, Lucille. Let's get out of here, Todd said. Yeah, we've got that fancy party to attend. Free food and all the high-end booze you can handle, she said. Let's go find your leading lady, see if she wants to share a cab. Or maybe we can hop into her limo. You know, local girl makes good, right, Toddy? Lucille, seconds ago you were calling her a cow. Now you want to ride her coattails? Hell with coattails. I want the limo, she said in her usual boisterous, read, loud tone. However, that last word she spoke came out in stereo, followed by a monotone sign. Todd returned to nicely to notice a finely dressed older woman with a helmet of blue rinsed hair standing near him, glittering jewels giving the Tiffany-adorned Belasco a run for its old-school glamour. She was addressing her young companion, who looked at her as though her instructions needed repeating. She looked askance at the loud Lucille before speaking again in a voice that would ask to have the crusts cut off. Charles, bring me my limousine. Right away, Mrs. Smith. Gee, kind of a boring moniker for such a fancy-sounding lady, or so Todd thought. But he also thought, with sparkling jewels like the ones hugging her for dear life, that this lady was loaded. She could be forgiven for signing checks with her rather ordinary name. Sorry about the show, Lady Smith. I guess it was the wrong one to invest in, spoke that snooty old gentleman who'd previously announced he was giving up on Cole Porter. Positively dreadful. Wait, Lady Smith? Now there was a moniker with promise. 
Mrs. Smith sounded like she baked apple pies. Lady Smith sounded like she owned the bakery. Whichever she was, with her aged hand fussing with a thick gold necklace dangling from her neck, she seemed to shrug off the unsolicited review. What she said next, well, that kind of distracted Todd from the jewels. Oh, Cyrus, you old coot, it's only money, spoke the aforementioned Lady Smith. Okay, Todd had just one more thought as he watched this wealthy creature step out of the theater lobby and disappear into the cavernous back seats of her limo, uh, limousine. Don't let that woman out of your sight. Someone with money to spare and a cavalier attitude about it to boot. That was the kind of person Todd liked to pay attention to, to get to know. While he dealt with the poor and the desperate on occasion, wasn't it nice to meet a person who was willing to part ways with their fortune? Now the question was how to meet her and get some of that apparently unwanted cash. If you enjoyed this sample, there are four books available now starring Todd Gleason. London Frog, California Scheming, Two Todd Tales, and Two More Todd Tales. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed my excerpt. Be well. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Mm-hmm.